So I was born on a farm in Illinois. I'm one of the very few Americans who was born in the same bedroom that his father was born in. I'm in the same house, the same bedroom. And grew up in a Mennonite community in Illinois. Um, went off to Goshen College, a small Mennonite college in Indiana, not far from Notre Dame, and was a mathematician. And in the third year of my uh, college life, I found some way to escape the Midwest and went off as a student to the University of Nigeria. And while I was at the University of Nigeria, I went there because one of my chemistry professors had spent a sabbatical year there, and um, I was looking for someplace interesting to go, and he said, look, the University of, of uh, Nigeria was established in relationship to Michigan State, so you can actually take courses, take credits, transfer them, and graduate on time. And I went off to Nigeria. and. Although I continued to take mathematics courses there, I also started taking courses on African religion, on the history of West African Christianity, which meant really the, the whole history of colonialism in West Africa, and started and, and had an, an, an Igbo roommate and like fell in love with, with Africa. And so I came back from that year in some ways completely changed, knowing I didn't want to be a mathematician, but not knowing, having any idea what I wanted to do. And so I was encouraged to apply for a fellowship. And in order to get the fellowship, had to uh, apply to a divinity school. And I applied to Harvard Divinity School. and ended up not getting the fellowship, but went to Harvard Divinity School uh, and spent three years, even though I, had, I decided to postpone my mathematics, I got into a PhD program in mathematics, decided to put it off, and instead went to Harvard. Um, and once I was there, I discovered anthropology. Um, and so I spent three years essentially doing comparative religion with a focus on the anthropology of religion. And so while I was there, I took courses with Johnny Whiting, this both fascinating and rather strange psychological anthropologist, with Evan Vogt, who was teaching the course on, on uh, uh, anthropology of religion, and really started for the first time reading seriously in the anthropology of religion of Africa. And using that as a base then, I applied into, I, dis I discovered I wanted to be an anthropologist. And started applying, applied into graduate schools, got into a number of places, but <clears throat> decided to go to the University of Chicago. So that was 1966 to 1969 at Harvard, applied during those fantastic years to be in Cambridge. You know, those were the kind of peak of the anti-war movement um, and moved to Chicago not long after the violence around the Democratic uh, 
you know, the, the, uh, that whole sort of political era of the Democratic Convention, which was broken up by the Daily Police Machine, and went to Chicago and started my PhD in 1969. I was actually, at that time when I went, I was planning to go to do, a, do my PhD research in, back in Nigeria. But along the way, actually just before I went there, um, I met Mary Jo as a graduate student. She was a Middle East specialist, and in particular a Turkey specialist, and she had taken me off to Turkey in 1968-69 for some period of time. Uh, when she was, she had been in Peace Corps in Turkey and she was ex completely fluent in Turkish in those days and had studied Turkish in the Middle East Center before going into a PhD program in sociology and took me off and she interviewed, interviewed politicians in Turkey about the meaning of, diverse meanings of nationalism. And if you think about it, this was also a period when at the University of Chicago they had what was called the New Nations Program. And this was a period when, this was really a period in which it was not long post-colonial. So when I was in Nigeria, 1964-65, um, Nigeria became independent in 1960. And so I was there in a kind of magical moment in Nigeria between um, independence and before the Biafran War when the place you know, went through that terrible trauma uh, that in a way started the, the, the move toward violence and, and, and corrupt politics in, in Nigeria. Um, so um, Mary Jo took me off to Turkey. She did a set of interviews and it started a process of our working together in which I actually used her interviews to write my master's degree, my master's thesis, <laughs> at the uh, University of Chicago uh, at, at that time. So um, we made a decision, actually one of my teachers, uh, Lloyd Fowlers, Tom Fowlers, who was a student of Max Gluckman, was an East Africanist who in his last years had started working in Turkey and had done actually the Morgan Lectures called the Anthropology of the Nation State. And he just said to us, look, you can't work in two societies, that's crazy. You have to choose where you're going to work first and you can always go to a second society. So I started studying Turkish and decided we would go and do our PhD work in Turkey. And as we were just about ready to go, there was one of the perennial coups in Turkey and we couldn't go to Turkey. And so we started looking around where else we could work and decided where we would speak Turkish and decided to go to Azerbaijan in, um, in Iran. During the time I was at Chicago, Mary Jo was doing her PhD at Harvard and we were spending a year at Chicago and a year back at Harvard and a year at Chicago. And during the year back from uh, Chicago at Harvard, 
I actually met Arthur Kleinman at that time in a seminar in, on, in symbolic anthropology that Jim Fox, who was later a very well-known Indonesianist, um, was running. <coughs> Excuse me. So um, I actually hooked up with Arthur Kleinman quite early and got to know him, and he was at that time just beginning to do a career development award in the history of medicine and really beginning to read into the history and anthropology of medicine. And he was back from having done work in Taiwan. So Arthur was just beginning to formulate his ideas about, uh, about medical, what would, be, would become medical anthropology. And I, being a student of Cliff Geertz, was both interacting with Arthur about those ideas and also introducing him in a way to some of, some of Geertz's real sort of grounding in phenomenology. Um, I would say for a major part of my career, um, I was very strongly influenced by the basic seminar on the theory of culture that that Cliff Geertz taught. It was a seminar that had something like a 30-page reading list with each of something like 18 topics having, you know, about 20 to 30 books and articles listed. So it was not like a reading list that you were expected to read all of that in any period of time. It was a kind of lifetime of work. To, but it gave one a kind of intellectual scope of, of how Geertz thought about culture. And so I spent a lot of time reading seriously in phenomenology at that time, and broadly in symbolic studies. And that also hooked up with how I had studied religion um, in the divinity school at Harvard. And I began to think about the study of medicine in a way that was quite similar to how I thought about the study of religion. And I think what eventually became the Morgan Lectures, what eventually became Medicine, Rationality, and Experience grew out of that kind of early orientation of how one thinks, how I thought about, about medicine. In those late years, in, in the, those years, the late years of Geertz at Chicago was when he was, you may remember, he wrote a series of essays that included religion as a cultural system. But remember, he had a whole series of things, basically of aesthetics as a, as a cultural system and common sense as a cultural system. And that was a whole sort of project of his that was based in phenomenology and based in thinking phenomenologically about of what constitutes diverse symbolic forms in the kind of Ernst Kassir sense of, of that, that term. And so I would say I, in a way, set out as a project to do medicine as a cultural system back in those days. You know, there was not at that time something like medical anthropology as you know it and as we think about it today. 
medical anthropology in those days was what was called medical anthropology was really a kind of applied public health work in which George Foster and a, and a small group of public health people, um, many of whom actually had positions in public health, in schools of public health like Ben Paul, etc. That was what constituted medical anthropology. And I would say for someone who was a Chicago anthropologist, like that was unthinkable <laughs> to do medical anthropology like that. And so this sort of broad idea of thinking about medicine as a, as, as a cultural system in that Gertzian sense of the term, thinking of what kind of knowledge is, const is constituted within medicine, how diverse, what kind of a symbolic world medicine constitutes, et cetera, was something quite different from that kind of applied medical anthropology. And so I would say I was not that influenced by, in a way I was almost influenced over against that version of doing medical anthropology. This, what was beginning to emerge in, in those days, in the early 1970s, was around Charles Leslie and around people working in Asia was this whole movement of Asian med the study of Asian medical systems. And so the study of Asian medical systems were really the first time that medical anthropology became the study of great civilizational traditions of medicine. Ayurveda, Chinese medicine, um, the Galenic tradition through the Arabs into this kind of Arabic-based history of Islamic medicine, etc., which is what, in the end, I did my dissertation research on in Iran. So um, it was a time when already medical anthropology was beginning to take a completely, there was in a way an invention of a new medical anthropology around what I would call the comparative study of, of the comparative study of, of the great civilizational traditions of medicine. And Charles Leslie himself, who died not long ago, was, I th was a very sort of founding figure in that, in that whole tradition. And Charles never wrote a lot. He was a great editor, uh, and he was a great supporter of young people. And so he kept bringing people together in these ways uh, that produced quite a diverse sense of what you have to do if you want to study medicine in a place like India, where he worked. Um, he himself had been a student of Robert Redfield in Chicago, who invented this, who, who developed a kind of idea of the great traditions and the small traditions, um, working in, in Mexico. So I would say that was one of the sort of primary beginnings of the development of quite a different conception of what, of what would become now, I think, medical anthropology. And then I would say the second thing was this, what began to evolve in those very early years in a conversation 
that it involved Arthur Kleinman and myself and Mary Jo and a number of other people, our old supporter, Leon Eisenberg, is a psychiatrist, um, <clears throat> which is to say, how do you really theorize? Because medical anthropology in those years, everyone said, well, it's kind of an interesting set of activities, but it's an applied discipline and it has no theoretical basis. It's like the last thing one, I think, would say about medical anthropology nowadays. But in those days, it was really true. And so, anyhow, so I went off to Iran, did my research there on, in, really in that way, about this whole tradition of, of Islamic medicine now in a kind of small uh, rural town in, in, Azer in Azerbaijan, Turkish-speaking area. That was the setting in which we worked. I did this work on, on uh, uh, traditional medical things there. Um, what became that essay, The Heart of What's the Matter, the data, remember there's quantitative data in that, and that was because Mary Jo and we got, but primarily she got money to do a survey about family planning activities. And so we just built a bunch of questions into it that we were both interested in. And then, like with, like, I didn't have any training in doing quantitative things, but it was because our, we were working together that I ended up with certain kind of quantitative data, first about the heart, first for the heart of what's the matter, and then secondly for a paper that looked at the relationship between heart distress and fright illnesses that we had just written into this kind of epidemiological survey, a bunch of questions that treated kind of popular illness categories in the epidemiological way that one might treat any other kinds of, of, of conditions. So came back to Harvard, came back, actually lived in, came back to Cambridge and wrote my PhD dissertation there rather than at Chicago. Mary Jo was there and Arthur Kleinman was there. And so during that time I also worked closely with Arthur. And in 1975-76, so I came back and wrote my thesis between 74 and 76. And in 1975-76, Arthur and Leon Eisenberg got some money to run a seminar on cross-cultural studies of medicine. And we brought together a whole group of people. Mary Jo was a part of it, but a kind Noor Yalman was a part of it. Stanley Tambaya came and gave a piece in it. And the papers that were given, and I was the kind of graduate student assistant organizing and running the seminar. <coughs> And Arthur then took the papers from that, from that seminar um, as the first, basically the first volume of culture medicine and psychiatry. And Arthur at that time himself made the negotiations to launch a new journal and picked up these papers and began. That gave him the kind of backlog of papers he needed to launch the journal. And so, for us, that was sort of the first real moment 
of the creation of something like a Harvard approach to medical anthropology. So after this, 1976, Arthur Kleinman goes to Seattle, Byron and Mary Jo go to the University of California, Davis, and I would say that was a period of really active involvement in psychiatry. I had one piece of background, I won't go into it, but I, while I was in the Divinity School, I spent a year doing a kind of internship at Massachusetts Mental Hospital, where I spent about 12 to 15 hours a week on a psychiatric ward, and that's when I had my first direct experience with people with psychotic illness, people with major mental illness. And I would say it was a time terribly important to me when I stopped being afraid of people who were crazy. Mm -hmm. That is, I learned how to be with people who were psychotic um, and got really fascinated from that time in the whole set of questions around what's the relationship between mental illness and culture and began to raise all of the questions that I've had all of my life about whether mental illnesses are the same across cultures, whether they have the same course and outcome, what kinds of studies do you, does one do around uh, culture and mental illness. So I went off and spent seven years in the Department of Psychiatry, and there's where I really sort of hung out with psychiatrists, hung out with psychiatric patients, taught anthropology in a psychiatry department. Mm -hmm and taught psychiatrists, taught clinical psychologists. And so my first kind of real training as a teacher was, was in the medical school. Arthur was recruited to come back to Harvard as a full professor by Leon Eisenberg, the same person I've mentioned, and people in the anthropology department. And Arthur and Leon put together a, a package in which if he would, he would come if he had a couple of junior people, and they did a search, and Mary Jo and I applied, and we had this great joy of being able to escape exile in California and actually move back to Cambridge, um, and in 1983, moved back to Cambridge. A couple of very quick things in 1983. One of the very first things that I did was to write the first application for an NIMH, National Institute of Mental Health, training program in broadly medical anthropology. And that launched along with Mary Jo and Arthur. The three of us basically started in 19, I think got it funded in 1983 or 84, and started what was a 25-year run of having postdoctoral fellows and also supporting graduate students in medical anthropology. And that became a really kind of central mechanism for creating a community around you know, of, of medical anthropology in, at, at, uh, at Harvard. In the early years, in our, late, in our years at, at California and in our early years at, uh, at Harvard, we were really folks focused on American medicine. That book of Mary Jo's, American Medicine, the search for competence came out of that work. Um, I started, we both started doing work on the study of Harvard medical students, and so some of the work from medicine, rationality, and experience came out of that work. We had done a community study in Northern California 
uh, of the of 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 healthcare in in the communities that was looking explicitly at how mental health problems are dealt with in primary care. That's what NIMH gave us the research grant to do, but it was really also looking at at the organization of medicine in rural American communities. We carried that over to studying Harvard Medical students. And that, and along the way, we were also studying Iranian immigrants to the United States who left after the Islamic Revolution. And I would say that carried us through until the, uh, in, until, and through the, really through the 1980s. Um, two things then happened that sort of carries us in, uh, till today. First, um, we also then began developing, Arthur first got money to support developing some international training programs that were similar to the training program for, for postdocs in medical anthropology. Uh, but one that was focused on bringing uh, physicians and social scientists from other parts of the world to come and be involved in training at Harvard. And I remember Arthur really wanted to work in East Asia and the Carnegie Corporation said, well, if you'll do it in Africa, we'll support you. So we developed and spent 10 years running a program in bringing physicians and and social scientists from Nairobi and Dar es Salaam to Harvard, and we spent a fair amount of time going to East Africa at that time. But it was also during that time that Mary Jo started doing a, doing a consulting for a project on infant mortality, diarrheal disease, um, and very public health, it was a whole public health group that had sites a number of places, and Mary Jo, the, the, the big bosses that ran the project went to Chiang Mai and Bali and sent Mary Jo off to northern Pakistan and Aceh in those years. Mm. And of course, being an anthropologist at heart, she loved those places. Um, and, um, and she began taking me to, to Indonesia. And, uh, so really at the, it was a, I, I would say, so along the way, about 1990, I got invited to do the Morgan Lectures. I did those, as you know, Medicine, Rationality, and Experience. And as I finished that book, got promoted to full professor at Harvard, which meant that we were gonna be able to stay there. A year later, Mary Jo got promoted to stay there and at that point, we could s sit back and say, now where do we really want to work? And we made a decision to go to Indonesia. So I would say that the, one of the things that I thought about doing for the lecture when I came here was that I knew that people would know that book, that I assumed people here would have read Medicine, Rationality, and Experience, or the audience to whom I was really speaking would, have, would know that work but they really wouldn't know how I got from there to where I am now or exactly how I'm thinking now. And so I thought of, this turns out to be exactly 20 years, that it would be quite an interesting time to 
try to say where I've come in my theoretical thinking over the last 20 years. And, you know, I think you heard a, a kind of thinking about medical anthropology that was pretty different than what you read in, in Medicine, Rationality, and Experience. And so these whole themes that include a more psychological vision of subjectivity um, and of the subject and of how one does research in this area and a kind of growing interest in post-colonialism that comes, I think, kind of naturally to somebody who's started work in Iran, then goes to the United States and then moves to Indonesia, which is very much a post-colonial society, one in which the remnants of Dutch colonialism are still extremely present, mm -hmm. so that one, so that that kind of writing becomes much more immediately part of my consciousness now in a way that I think it wasn't then. But I would say also as just a kind of growing interest in, in how one puts together ideas of politics or political subjectivity and, and illness. And I would say that's part of where the whole discipline has also gone. Um, and so for me, it was, an, it was an attempt to say where I stand in relationship in myself, but also in a relationship to where medical anthropology has gone, I think. What I said last night is not so unusual for medical anthropology these days. And I would say the last five years of being really deeply involved in post-conflict work in Aceh makes me certainly sort of more, have a kind of more personal hands-on awareness of what it is like to do anthropology in places where many of my students are working, which are places, number one, in which they're either post-conflict or still in the midst of conflict. Number two, in which there's a tremendous role of humanitarian organizations that are involved and somehow dealing with humanitarian organizations becomes a central part of medical anthropology in a way that it wasn't before. Thirdly, broadly dealing with forms of displaced persons and citizenship um, and dispersed communities and more globalized communities. Um, and along with that, of course, then, a very different notion of what culture is and a very different notion that defines sort of what's the task of anthropology. You know, we've all been through writing against culture. We've all been through those, you know, through the kind of, through the kind of changes in anthropology which are, which make the whole field very, very different than when I was a student with Cliff Geertz. And, you know, I think there's a still stream of interpretive medical anthropology in me, but I would say, you know, I think pretty differently than I did 40 years ago and pretty differently than I did 20 years ago. And one of the goals of, like, trying to articulate that as clearly as I could was to give a lecture here that would sort of bring people up to date on what I've been working on and, and how I think about those things now. Mm -hmm.